Previously on Hound Radio's Arch Campbell podcast. What do you like these days? What have you seen that you really like? What have I seen <laughs> that I really liked? It's okay to say nothing. <laughs> oh gosh um i don't want to say nothing but i'm having to rack my brain a little bit. <laughs> that may be saying something right there the arch campbell podcast featuring arch lou katz and a cast of thousands begins now well, hi, everybody, and here we are, and I'm with my longtime friend and this podcast producer, Lou Katz. Hi, Lou. Hi, Arch. Great to be back with you, buddy. And today, <laughs> today is more of a pleasure than usual as we get to welcome back our great friend and collaborator, Jen Cheney of Vulture. And Jen, it is so good to uh, see and hear from you again. Oh, it's great to see you guys. And uh, also joining Jen is another one of my favorite people. He is the L.A.-based entertainment writer and film critic, Oliver Jones. And Oliver, great to have you back on the show. L.A.-based but D.C.-rooted uh, art. Uh, <laughs> D.C. in my heart. Uh, D.C. ride or die. Great to be with you guys. Yeah, it seems we all have to leave our hometowns, except yeah. for Jen. I yeah, guess. so I bother. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> you're my hero, Jim. Right. <laughs> so we're trying to make sense of the ever-changing world of entertainment, and uh, let's start with the Emmy nominations, which came out uh, recently. And uh, Jen, what do the Emmy nominations say to you? Well, one thing that stood out to me, and I, I wrote a piece about this, is you know the. Outstanding comedy series and outstanding drama series each have eight nominations. And generally speaking, based on the Emmy rules, the number of nominees is, is determined based on how many shows are submitted. So obviously the more shows submitted, the higher number of nominees, and they've made drama and comedy just equal at eight so that there would be parity. But however, the limited series category still only gets five. And that category is just cutthroat every year because there's so many great limited series. And I think the limited series has risen in prominence that it is on par in importance with comedy and drama. And the number of things that didn't get nominated this year that should have been nominated to me is evidence of that. I couldn't believe the good Lord bird and especially Ethan Hawke, which is a separate you know, category, didn't get nominated. Small Axe didn't get nominated. It's a sin didn't get nominated. I didn't love the ending of The Undoing, but in any other year, I think that show probably would have been nominated and it wasn't. So I just think they need to make, I don't know if it needs to be eight, but there need to be more nominees in that category because it's just, it's doing a disservice. Well, they really seem to be the water cooler shows that everybody's talking about. Yeah, definitely. Oliver, what's your take on the Emmy nominations? I, I shared uh, the Ethan Hawke uh, heartbreak. Uh, you know, I think it's been one of these wonderful things for us Gen Xers uh, to see the kind of artist that he became or uh, has become as a director, as an actor, as a filmmaker. Um, you know, and he was just so terrific on that show. Uh, and he was to me, that one stood out. Um, but Jen, I don't understand how you watch all these things and how you stay on top of television. I mean, I find movies to be hard enough and there's so much less of it. How do you do it? Uh, I mean, are you, uh, is it drugs? Is it coffee or how, how do you watch it? All? Well, it's that, it's lack of sleep. 
it's being a terrible <laughs> parent. You know, it's all the things that you, you need to, the sacrifices you need to make in order to watch yeah. television. Can we just speak uh, a little bit about Mayor and the Crown and the Queen's Gambit? And I know you love uh, Lasso and WandaVision. And those seem to be the shows you hear more and more over and over again about. Yeah, I mean, I think Ted Lasso, um, they're doing something very smart, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit later. They, the new season of that show, the second season drops this Friday. Um, at first I looked at that and I thought, well, it's a weird time to put that up against the Olympics, but it's sort of in the, the wheelhouse of heart and sports that the Olympics is. And mm -hmm. the way it's rolling out is when the, when the voting closes is, is at a crucial moment in the season where things start to get really deeper. And I think that was very much by strategy. They want to remind people how much they like that show. And Obviously, they're not voting for season two, but I don't think it's going to hurt that it's rolling out when it does. Um, so I expect that to win comedy, and I expect Jason Sudeikis to win, maybe some of the supporting actors to win as well. I don't know. I mean, the limited series category, I think, is one of the hardest to determine who's going to win. I feel like maybe I May Destroy You has a good chance, but I think Mayor of Easttown has a recency effect that may um, give it an advantage. But um, I will say in the outstanding comedy category, there were a couple that were surprising to me. Cobra Kai, which I enjoy for nostalgia reasons. Don't think that's an Emmy level show. Uh, Emily in Paris, same deal. Like it's a it's a fun frothy <laughs> show. It does not need to be nominated for an Emmy. I now that is Lou Katz's favorite show. I want to take up <laughs> Lou's side just for a minute. And I don't know if that's his favorite show. Sex Lives is now my new favorite show. So oh. <laughs> you know what? Stick with Emily in Paris. Um, <laughs> But like a, a show that's more of a pure comedy, like just pure laughs, like Girls 5 Evo, I, that wasn't nominated there. It was nominated for writing, but I don't understand how that didn't get an outstanding comedy nomination versus some of these other things. I'm on this roll that everything is changing. And one of the things I'm wondering about, and I think you touched on it, Jen, is that maybe this is the year that the Olympics are a dud. Haven't you already called them the most annoying thing on television or coming to TV? <laughs> no, I haven't done that because I actually love the Olympics, but it's not going well. It is not going no. well. The, the buzz ahead of the Olympics is very bad. Obviously, there's, you know, the athletes are already getting sick because of COVID, which is terrible. But then, you know, the disqualification of our fastest female runner for just no good reason. It just, it feels like every news story about the Olympics has been negative <laughs> um, prior to it kicking off. And I'm just like hoping they can even get through to the end because even what yesterday, one of the officials was like, we still might cancel this. I'm like, doesn't it start in like a day or two? Feels like you should have made that call earlier. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't uh, What recall. do you think, Oliver, on the, the, the idea of just the things you used to depend on, you can't depend on anymore? Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. I'm like Jen, you know, I'm sort of an Olympics nerd and, uh, and I've already sort of um, decided that in order to kind of get my Olympic itch scratched, I'm going to have to turn to the documentaries about it that are on the, that are on the Criterion channel, right? Because uh, there are quite a few good ones. Uh, so, so for us real nerds, uh, that may be where we turn this summer to get that satisfaction because I love sport, but even last night watching the um, the Milwaukee Bucks win the championship and seeing all those 65,000 fans and all you're thinking about is just the, you know, 
dealt about variants and wondering if there's going to be a new yeah. Wisconsin variant and you know that's all running through your mind the whole time and and I can't you know I can't turn that part of my brain off right and I don't think any of us can really do that while watching that Olympics um so it's you know it's a little bit it's a little bit heartbreaking and also this was a sort of a sad reminder for everyone that this is a really expensive show and TV show and and that this is really about money and it's not really about sports or athletics and it felt a little people feel a little cynical going into this Olympics in in regard to what you're saying about that feeling in the back of your mind and heart about COVID I just I want Simone Biles to like compete in a bubble and I, I feel like she's good enough that she could do the balance beam in encased in some sort of bubble situation it would make me feel better that's the thing right I mean we have um uh, Simone Biles, we have Katie Ledecky, we have some of the greatest uh, uh, women athlete, athletes that have ever walked the earth at this Olympics. You know, so the fact that that they're not getting that buzz and punch that they usually get is particularly sad and particularly tragic because of the level of, um, of athletic talent. I mean, that is beyond belief, beyond imagination uh, displayed by uh, women athletes in this, in this Olympics. Well, it also plays into the trend, I guess, that broadcast TV is uh, becoming sports. And uh, speaking of that, uh, from the uh, Emmy nominations, maybe this is uh, the final nail in uh, broadcast. Uh, <laughs> the only show that seems to emerge is Saturday Night Live, and I think it's very generic. What about you? It was interesting. I noticed when... When the Emmys are announced every year, they put out, you know, a, a bunch of PDFs of here's how many shows, here's what shows got the most nominations, here's what networks, et cetera. And the way they organized it this year, it wasn't like ABC, CBS, NBC, HBO. It was Warner Media, and then it would have HBO, HBO Max, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ABC Disney, and it would have Disney Plus and ABC. And so it's like everybody's now taking credit for what the conglomerate has earned as opposed to like the individual networks, because you're right, the broadcast networks are not nearly as relevant, although there are certain categories in which they do better. Certainly um, variety talk, uh, where you get some of the late night shows that are on broadcasts that they do better there. Um, as you said, Saturday Night Live does very well, but you look in the sort of the main categories for outstanding series and you don't, you know, Blackish got nominated for comedy, but you don't see a lot of representation from what used to be you know, our primary source of television. Yeah. Any thoughts on Saturday Night Live, Oliver? You know, it's the one network show that doesn't feel safe, right? So that that doesn't feel necessarily predictable or it's one of the network. I mean, I guess some of, some of the other late night shows are, are like that too. But I think that people are getting away from, you know, that, that comfort watching the way you would watch um, Growing Pains on ABC or whatever, that sort of, that kind of empty calorie comfort food watching that we used to have. Uh, and I think that show, I mean, um, you know, uh, the uh, SNL is the same as it ever was, you know, sometimes it hits and sometimes it misses terribly, but it does feel, you know, sort of like you were saying, Arch, so, uh, sort of like the TV show version of sports, you know, you can't completely predict it. Uh, and, uh, and that's what kind of makes it exciting and kind of why I think it carries a little extra um, octane uh with the voters well i always love when jen is with us because she keeps up with television <laughs> with those qualities <laughs> she has already <laughs> elucidated for us and i i want to tell you i'm trying two shows i tried 
uh, Kevin can F himself on AMC. And, and although I kind of like the first two, I've sort of given up on it. And I am plowing my way episode by episode through the White Lotus, mm -hmm. but I'm not loving it yet. So hmm. what are you watching, Jen? And what do you recommend? And what do you think of my thoughts? <laughs> uh... <laughs> Well, I, I wrote a big piece about Kevin Kniff himself and interviewed all yeah. the people involved in making it. And I would say I, I like like it more than you did. But when it gets to episode four was when I felt like it really clicked into gear and I was really seeing the two, you know, the multicam side. The, the, the premise of this show, for people who don't know, is that it's half sort of traditional multi-camera sitcom, half single cam, where you see the wife of the man-child husband actually trying to forge her own identity and maybe do some things to get away from this marriage. I think Annie Murphy is in the lead role is really great. Um, I think all the actors are very good, but it four was when it really kind of clicked more into gear for me. So I don't know if that's helpful or not. If you know, time is precious. Okay. You may not want to give it that time, but um uh and then I love the White Lotus. I I put that on going, okay, and this was weeks ago when we first got the screeners i'll watch one of these see what it's like and i ate the whole thing memorial day weekend in like two days um i love mike white he um he's the writer director of this he did enlightened which is one of the greatest shows hbo ever broadcast and then they canceled it after season two it's amazing to me that he wrote this in like a month or two and then it was in production like they made it specifically because hbo wanted to do something they could do in quarantine that was in one space um, that where they could control everything and because it's all set at a resort that's exactly what this is welcome to the white lotus surprise mom am i interrupting i know it's only your honeymoon oh my god look at her face rachel you were such a beautiful bride but also very pale but now you have a little more color and it looks great Thanks. jennifer coolidge is just lights out in this i think she's absolutely hilarious uh and it's just i i love the way that it sort of shines a light on on privilege and how privileged people act yeah. and how and power dynamics within that both within the staff of the resort and also between the staff and the um the clientele so i i love white lotus i really do i'm watching uh as it comes down so uh what is it six uh six shows yes i love <laughs> the marriage dynamic already though and i think you know we're all sort of uh looking forward to watching that explode which one <laughs> there's a the, couple the the young couple on their honeymoon oh yeah i mean and that's another thing i, love I don't it. love it i it you know it's it's a car crash waiting to happen jake lacy who plays the the husband in that couple is always cast as the like because he just has that face he's very handsome mm -hmm. all-american you know the nice guy and he's playing such a jerk in this and it's just very refreshing for me to see him embrace that kind of role because he hasn't had the chance to do it and he's just a nightmare he just will not let go of not getting the pineapple yeah. uh some other things i wanted to mention just real quick um i mentioned earlier that ted lasso season two starts this week and it's as good if not maybe even better than the first season howdy y'all Ted. Ted! What do you say to a cocktail, Coach Lasso? Oh, the same thing I'd say to Diane Sawyer if she ever asked me out on a date. Yes, please. The sensibility is right on target. You already know these characters and really like them. But they also start to kind of peel away at the niceness and like, is Ted's niceness maybe 
covering up some other things that are going on inside of him. And so I feel like there's some more layers to it this season that there weren't in the first season. A couple other uh, shows that have come out since we last talked, one is, and I don't know if you've talked about it on the podcast, is um, We Are Lady Parts, which is on Peacock. And mm. it's six episodes. It's a British show about an all-female Muslim punk band in England. We Are Lady Parts. Who are newest band member, a delightful freak show, mm. and our great new friend. Hey. Am I really that bad? You're that good. It's such a wonderful portrayal of Muslim women that you just do not see on television. And it's just fun and funny and the music is great. So I, I've been recommending that to people a lot. And then um, the most popular show among Vulture staff is I Think You Should Leave, um, which is the sketch comedy, um, the second season of the sketch comedy series by Tim Robinson, who was on Saturday Night Live very briefly. Um, you may have seen memes about it, even if you haven't watched it yet. And just on a personal level, I have to recommend one of my coworkers did this incredible article. One of the, one of the sketches on the show is about a, a made up cable show called Coffin Flops, where it's just footage of, of bodies falling out of coffins at funerals over and over again. And one of my coworkers interviewed everyone involved in how they made those coffin flops. And the article is as funny as the sketch itself. It's an absolute riot. So I read Ann Clark's article about coffin flops and then watch I Think You Should Leave. Uh, who's carrying I Think You Should Leave? Oh, sorry. That's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Great. I, I think I will watch for sure. Oliver, what are you watching? Well, um, thank you for those recommendations, Jen. I'm definitely going to get on uh, White Lotus. That sounds really interesting. Um, I, That's you know, HBO Max. Yes. And I, you know, I've been one of those where I feel I feel subscribed out. So I, I haven't uh, gone to Apple yet. Uh, and Ted Lasso is really the only thing bringing it, you know, sort of the the uh, the the siren call that's calling me upon the beach there and uh, and I, I I've been I've held out so far but I don't think I can hold out much longer uh, it seems like a fun conversation to be a part of but you know me uh, Arch I carry the torch for the the movie nerds in the world and the series that I've been watching this summer is the um, Criterion Channel's uh, neo noir series uh, that they've been doing uh, um, shining a spotlight on um, on uh, movies from the from the 70s um, all the way through mm. to Brian uh, Johnson's uh, um, uh, Brick. Uh, but I've been watching them in chronological order, starting with uh, Cotton Comes to Harlem and uh, up on 100, uh, across 110th Street and uh, Chinatown, a great uh, Gene Hackman movie called uh, Night Moves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've really enjoyed watching them sort of in the context of neo-noir uh, and also, you know, Arch, uh, uh, a lot of these movies were first run movies when my, um, uh, when my dad uh, was reviewing yeah, films yeah. So, uh, uh, in DC. So it sort of brings me back to that time. And I think about digging out uh, his old uh, reviews from the crate and seeing how they compare to my view of watching them now. So I've been- um, Yeah, your father was Davy Marlon Jones, just let yeah. me uh, put this context. And as I recall, he reviewed um, with notes rather than written sentences. Yeah, with points. Yeah, he he wrote out on uh, uh, on felt tip on uh, on um, legal pad, yellow legal pad, uh, typically on his way to the studio. But he, um, you know, my dad had a trick arch. He had a um, he had one uh, good eye and one bad eye. Uh, so he just fixed his 
bad eye onto the camera and read his notes with his good eye, uh, which made him <laughs> something like a deranged Muppet. Uh, <laughs> But uh, but was you know somehow effective. Um, but anyway, so uh, watching these neo noir movies has been a way to uh, kind of commune with the old man, and but also like just the value of curation. You know, uh, um, someone putting the thought through to kind of link these films together uh, under a theme. You know that you can think about and talk about. It's just a lot of fun for me. And it brings to mind. I uh, I've noticed uh, this week Robert Downey Sr. died, the father yeah. of Robert Downey Jr., who was sort of the father of the independent film movement. And one of his great early successes was Putney Swope. Yeah. Have either of you heard of Putney Swope or? Yeah, Sino? I watched it recently because yeah, I was I doing that piece on on offices in in Manhattan, and that was one of the ones that we uh -huh. included. That's a wild movie. Putney Swope is the new chairman of this board. Mr. Swope, I do exactly the same job as the other executives, but I don't make as much money as they do. I don't think that's right. If I give you a raise, everybody's gonna want a raise, and if I give them a raise, they'll still be making more money than you. And we'll be right back where we started. And because it is contemporary to my time, at the, at the time, I think 1969 or 70, it defined outrageousness. And of course, you know, the story of, a, of an all-Black uh, advertising agency or an advertising agency taken over by uh, Blacks and, the, and their, uh, their marketing ideas. And of course, now, it's that's that's what we have. It's no yeah. longer outrageous. But I, I mentioned that it's not noir, noir, but it certainly was uh, earth shattering comedy. Yeah, definitely. And um, and it's good to uh, remember the um, the outrageous cinematic cloth from which uh, Junior was was cut. I've also watched uh, this week and liked a lot the new um, uh, Anthony Bourdain documentary Roadrunner. Uh, which has gotten a lot of um, sort of negative response on on uh, uh, Twitter uh, for what has been viewed as ethical lapses. The um, the director um, uh, took an uh, an email that uh, Bourdain had written and uh, and then but uh, but had not spoken aloud and then used a, an, an AI sort of voice that was that sounded like Bourdain's to right. make it sound like he he was reading it. You were successful. And I'm successful. People viewed this as a um, as a huge ethical violation, and whether it is or isn't, I think, is an interesting debate. I don't. Well, actually, it's maybe not that interesting. There's more interesting things to talk about. But what it was was a messy, lively, um, sort of immersive uh, movie uh, that felt like a movie rather than a documentary. Uh, and it was, and it it refused to kind of cleanly uh, pack up a, a messy life that that was. Um, a life that was sort of um, very much colored by the way that it ended, uh, and and couldn't really get away from the last chapter. Uh, you know, it's a movie that you wish uh, didn't have the ending that it did and didn't have its last chapter. But I thought it was a lovely, or not. I I I felt like it was a it was a fitting way to uh, appreciate and recognize a guy who was. Uh, a gift and a mess in equal measure. So uh, now that we're on the subject of movies, let's move on to the movies. And, you know, the question always is, where are we? Uh, the great successes of the year appear to be F9, A Quiet Place, 
And uh, there's a little bit of rumble about Black Widow that it's not the blockbuster they expected. I wonder, is the idea of a summer blockbuster coming to an end, Jen? I, I feel like we can't. It, it's This summer is a very difficult summer to make that judgment. Um, so I'm, I'm hesitant to, to say that that's the case. I mean, Black Widow, considering the fact that it was also available on Disney+, Plus, it did pretty respectably in the theater. Maybe they overblew the, uh, the impact of that. But nevertheless, like there were still a lot of people who went to go see it in the theater. And similarly, the cinematic masterpiece that was Space Jam, A New Legacy, also brought in a lot of people to theaters, even though you could technically watch that on HBO Max. I'm being sarcastic when I say masterpiece. So I, I feel like what we're seeing is that even though things are available to watch at home and that is eating away a little bit at the theater, people are still willing to go to the theater and still want to go to the theater. And I think that's a positive sign. How that will play out in the long run, I don't know. I, I have to say personally, now that we're going back more, I still want to get the links at home, man. Mm. Don't want to have to pay for parking in Georgetown, yeah. <laughs> which I'm yeah. going to have to do tonight to see that much Shyamalan movie. Yeah, if you pay 20 bucks to park in Georgetown, uh, you can almost uh, pay 30. And between that and the gas, uh, right. you know, you're even. Uh, there's a movie opening this week, Old, by uh, F. Night Shyamalan, that uh, has got uh, certainly my attention. <laughs> it's not a biographical for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I heard from a co-worker in New York who has seen it that it's, I, I believe the words he uses, it's weird and it's not for everybody, but I think it's worth seeing. And mm -hmm. he liked it. So. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and that's what we like about movies. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the ones that are not for everybody. Mm -hmm. what's, uh, what's interesting uh, right now, you know, I mean, uh, to Jen's point about the fact that this is just there's no way to use this summer as a predictor in anything because here I am on the on the West Coast, right? All you're hearing about on the West Coast is how we're on fire and how we're in a drought and how uh, we're have record heat and uh, and of course, you know, we have that siren call of air conditioning to bring us into the theaters, but at the same time, uh, we have um, uh, you know, since July 4th here in Los Angeles, the the number of uh, of cases um, with the Delta variant has just skyrocketed up. So you're you're bound yeah. that out yeah. and doing this, you know, like uh, like um, Jen does this math ca calculus as to whether it's not not it's worth to pay the parking to go to Georgetown to see a movie. And now you're doing this math calculus: is it worth risking, you know, my respiratory system to go see, you know, uh, a Fast and Furious movie? You know, and and all of these calculations are not part of what you know, the, the measure you're supposed to take, right? When you go to the movies, you're not supposed to ask these existential questions. Um, but- Jen and I live in close in Montgomery County, Maryland, just outside of DC. And uh, Jen, maybe you agree, we are in a movie theater desert. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> I mean, since they the closed the arc light. Go to. Yeah, the arc light was my favorite. And obviously that whole chain has has shut down and I keep, hoping that somebody will save the one um, that we have locally at Montgomery Mall, because I, I feel like that was doing pretty good business. Um, and the Mazda, which was terrible, was certainly convenient. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> absolutely it's appreciate gone. its convenience. Well, never return. But to, so. to what you were just saying, Oliver, I, when I went to see Space Jam last week in Silver Spring, 
I took my son and a friend, his friend. And of course, being a teenager, they wanted to sit one seat over from me. So we left a seat open between myself and my son. And like 25 minutes into the movie, these two young men came in and one of them sat on the other side of my son's friend. One of them sat between me and my son. Neither of them had masks on. And the kid was on Instagram for half the movie. And I'm uh, like, this is why I don't need to come here for this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah. And well, well, I think one of those things that has happened, you know, is that a lot of us have forgotten how you're supposed to behave in public, right? Because we've been in the house for a year and a half. So, well, some people didn't know in the first place. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. that's true. But yeah, so that- <laughs> Not that, to mention airplanes. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing that you have to like, you have to say like, is my blood pressure going to shoot up, you know, during this? Uh, and uh, like, do I have to put my pills in before I go see this movie, you know, just to stay healthy? Uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, it's been it's been strange. I think what's what's going to be fun or interesting is that you know coming up in in August and the end of July, there's going to be a lot more interesting movies coming to the theaters, like um like a, a David Lowry's Green Knight, uh, the Green Knight, which looks which is sort of a an a adult uh, fantasy uh, film, um, you know, set in um, uh, King Arthur's Round Table and you know, there, there's going to be more adult-ish uh, films uh, that are going to be calling us to the movie theater, the sort of, um, you know, uh, the, the G.I. Joe snake eyes are going to be out of the way and, and the, the, the slightly more um, elevated fare is coming. And I think that that will be interesting to watch. By the way, I am very interested that Quentin Tarantino has novelized Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you are reading that book, Oliver? Yeah, is it a graphic it, it, or, or a, a novel? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a novel. It's a fascinating book. Like, um, I remember when I was a, when I was young, my brother worked, I think, down at the um the B. Dalton Bookseller on M Street in Georgetown. Yeah. Uh, it was like maybe kind of a discount books, and he used to um, you know, when the books weren't selling, they would they would rip off the cover and mail back the cover and then you would have the the paperback without it and i would read all of these novelizations you know i remember there was a summer where i carried around the novelization of um first blood uh everywhere i went and and then i forgot about them right i forgot that they were a part of my life you know and that novelizations were something you know i used to read like novelizations mm -hmm. Morris movies i was like what what kind of a foolish person would do such a thing? Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but then uh, reading this book was a sort of uh, reminder of the secret world that I used to occupy, you know, and used to uh, be part of my imagination. Uh, and I, and you know, him, uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino being an ultimate nerd, of course, knows everything about these these novelizations and the sort of, and, and honestly, the, 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 the history of novelizations is sort of interesting within its own right. But this book is is fascinating too because, as much as it is a novelization and an expansion of you know I guess in what in modern parlance we call the universe of the film, uh, is um, it's sort of a book length or narrative uh, film criticism, right? I think his one of his main influences in, in writing the book is Pauline Kael, you know, who uh, is not is one of his favorite yeah. writers, one of the most influential film critics, uh, and. Um, so I think the the it's you know as someone who loves film criticism I teach a class on film criticism at Emerson College and then also had this sort of secret kind of forgotten history loving 
novelizations of crappy Hollywood movies, you know, uh, it, it touches a secret spot, you know, a special spot for me. And I'm, sh well, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't think I'm the only one. I hope I'm not the only one. No, me too. By the way, there's a great documentary on Pauline Kael floating around uh, the internet somewhere. Yeah, it's called so, uh, What She Said. I think it's I think it's also yeah. on uh, Prime. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is really good. Um, it's you delightful. Know, speaking, speaking of a movie that captures a, a fascinating and messy life. Uh, and speaking of what she said, I think it's time for what he said from Lou Katz, who enables us on Hound Radio. And Lou? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm in, it going. I, it's going great, Arch. I'm enabling some of our Hound Radio listeners and some of the listeners to our podcast to free tickets to the movie that I know you have been holding your breath for for at least a decade, Snake Eyes, <laughs> starring Henry Golding. It's in theaters this weekend, and I want to thank our friends at Allied Marketing here in D.C. and also at uh, Fandango for getting us free tickets for the Hound Radio listeners. Here's how you get yours. Now that many theaters are open, Hound Radio wants to walk you leash-free to your favorite venue to see the new Paramount movie, Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origin. Where's boy? Boss wants to see you. My trouble? Someone is. That can't change your past. But I can offer you a purpose. I've been following you for some time. Do I know you? I know you. Snake Eyes stars Crazy Rich Asians Henry Golding. We're really starting a new timeline, uh, a new franchise with the G.I. Joe um, universe. And so to kick it off with such a distinct and stylized film, I think it really sets the precedent for follow-up movies. Win your free Fandango movie tickets when you register now at houndradio.com. This summer, stay cool in the DMV with tickets to the hottest movies from the popcorn-powered Hound Radio. Jen Cheney, it's such a delight to have you here. And of course, you've taken some time off this summer because you're tired of my uh, my grandiose sweeping statements that go that nowhere. That is not true at all. <laughs> I love grandiose sweeping statements. <laughs> Annoying statements then. <laughs> so, but you invented flashbacks and favorites. It's time for flashbacks and favorites. Jen would always ask a question to kind of throw us off base. What's on your mind for that? Well, actually, <laughs> just based on what Oliver was saying, I'm wondering if um, mm -hmm. if everyone had like a favorite novelization that they that they loved or or, or like like you were saying, Oliver, one that you would carry around or that meant something to you. I still have a lot of the ones that I, that I had in the eighties. I, I saved them. What was your um, favorite? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know if I actually read them in much detail. I just liked having them. Hmm. Um, so I'm like, I'm very glad that I still have the ET one, even though that one like de deviated a lot from the movie. Wow. In fact, there were, I feel like there was a sequel. I think I have both of them. I have the one for Ferris Bueller. I, I, I but I especially, I love that I have the novelization for the TV series Square Pegs. That's probably my oh, favorite. My gosh. Uh, that's the most Gen X thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I mean, I remember um, like having the one for Delta Force, you know, uh, <laughs> like, the, um, I mean, it's just amazing when you take something that is like on the surface, you know, meant to be very dumb, right? And then novelize it and sort of pro make it more prosaic. 
-hmm. like kind of what happened. Uh, but also, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily the most voracious reader as a kid, you know, so it was a way for me to sort of poke, you know, put my, my, my toe into uh, books that adults read without feeling like I was reading, you know, uh, right. while I was, you know, while I was like still goofing off or doing something that was like for oh me and not for smart kids. Well, we are uh, wrapping up now because uh, the, the time is coming, but this is so much fun. Uh, do I just have time to say I wanted Robert Redford to make my Antonia? He never did, and I've uh -huh. never gotten over it. So any <laughs> final words? <laughs> it was really fun to be here and great to talk with you all. Oliver, thanks say, so much. You Hanging out with you guys is the only thing that makes me miss uh, D.C. in July and August. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to so. quote Putney Smoke and say, up Madison Avenue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's great Lou, to see you thanks guys. so much. Hey, great hanging out with all you guys, and we'll be back in two weeks with another podcast. This is the Cats Podcasting System, where it's not just a podcast, but a podcast.